So uh, before they come up, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to show a short video, and then Rachel's going to come and uh, share with us for a minute. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a time together just to come and to uh, make Jesus known to one another, to, rem to remind each other of the gospel, for us to come and to praise you for your great love that's for us. And Father, I pray that this morning is... Uh, Austin and Rachel come and share with us that you would uh, give us a heart of joy and gladness to, to hear the kind of work that you're doing, that we'd be able to celebrate with them, celebrate with what you're doing uh, in other places around the world. And, and we've been praying for missionaries with Christian Missionary Alliance together. Uh, so it's, it just help us to, uh, to hear this word from them, hear what's going on, and to be able to celebrate and rejoice in what you're doing as you advance your kingdom uh, throughout the world, Lord. Pray for them as they come this morning. Would you give them the words to speak? Would you give us ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. There are many prodigal sons On our city streets they run Searching for shelter And there are homes broken
everybody. Um, as Pastor Ben said, I'm Rachel Keeler, and we serve in Clarkston, Georgia. Um, so if you don't know, you can see a little bit on the video there. In Clarkston, Georgia, there's over 14,000 refugees from 145 different nations. Um, so we were asked a year ago, uh, we were in Burkina Faso, and the leader of Envision Atlanta asked us, hey, would you come and help us set up um, Envision Atlanta? And uh, we, we love Clarkston. Uh, a lot of people, there's a refugee that started calling it Clarkstonia, or Clarkistan, and um, it really is, you step into Clarkston and it's like stepping into another country. Uh, it's like you're not in the United States anymore, and we love it for that reason. Um, Envision Atlanta has a few different ministries going on. Our goal is really to um, step in, to make relationships, to be able to be the welcoming hands of the church and um, there. And so my team, what I do is uh, short-term teams. So I welcome short-term teams in and partner in them with the ministries that are going on. We also do special events, uh, kind of like what you saw actually. Yesterday we had our Renew the City. Um, so we did do big service project days where we really try to bless the community. Um, we also have a business team who's starting businesses because a lot of these refugees come in. They don't have English. They don't have um, the, the language skills, but they may have other skills. And so they end up working in the chicken factories or in other jobs where they have to work all day and they don't get to see their kids. And so we're developing a couple different businesses to be able to employ refugees, um, employ uh, the, the leaders of the house churches uh, that we're planting. So my husband's on the church planting team and um, our vision is to plant a thousand house churches in the next 10 years. Um, and we believe that God is a great God and that he can do that. Um, so if you don't know Envision overall, it's the short-term branch of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, so the goal of Envision is to be able to partner the church with ongoing ministries and um, to disciple youth and others along with that. Um, so we'll be in the back afterwards. Uh, you guys can come talk to us if you would like to do a trip or anything else, partner with us in ministry. Um, I'll hand it over to my husband now. morning. So happy to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, thank you for welcoming us and inviting us and having us. It really means a lot. Let's begin by opening up our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. 
you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for calling us to participate in reaching the nations for Christ. Lord, I cannot preach today unless you help me. I will not unless you help me. Would you please speak to us in your word? Would you please help us? Would you move us from where we are to where we need to be? To where you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Rachel mentioned, I am on the church planting team with Envision Atlanta. Our goal is the establishment and multiplication of over 1,000 house churches in the metro Atlanta area over the next 10 years. We spend a lot of time during the week prayer walking, walking through the community and praying and door-to-door and street evangelism. But why Clarkston? Clarkston is a city inhabited by 145 nations, representatives from over 760 people groups live there. Over 100 dialects are spoken in the local high school at any time. As Rachel said, there are between 11 and 14,000 refugees in this square mile of land. Now, of these over 700 people groups in Clarkston, we have counted over 90 that are still considered unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that there are people living there who are from places in the far corners of the world who are inhabited by a people who have no access to the gospel. Many of these places we cannot travel to. Do you see what God is doing here? God has strategically gathered nations, peoples to whom we cannot go, have come to reside in our own backyard. Many have lost loved ones and experienced much hardship. Many have fled war and persecution. Some are here for work. Some are here seeking a better life. Some chose to come and others felt they had no choice. But whatever the reason, they are here. And Clarkston has become the most diverse square mile on earth. In fact, spending time in Clarkston is like stepping into another country. Like Rachel said, a a refugee friend of ours calls it not Clarkston, but Clarkistan. So why are we in Clarkston? Because a redeemed Clarkston is a small reflection of that glorious scene in Revelation 5-9 where the Lamb is being worshipped by a people who have been ransomed by his blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, a diverse myriad standing before the throne together singing praises to the lamb that was slain. 
if we are going to be worshiping shoulder to shoulder with all kinds of people in that heavenly country, then surely our love must now extend to those diverse people who are strangers in this country. But such is the human condition that we allow what is unknown to us to frighten us. And people become afraid of those who are different from themselves. And this xenophobia, this fear of the unknown, and particularly of foreigners, dampens and destabilizes Christian love, which ought always and to all kinds of people be bursting forth at every opportunity. But because of this fear, we do not love strangers as we ought. Nor do we therefore invite them in and seek to reach them with the gospel as we ought. Because a superficial fear of that which is strange to us holds us back. In Clarkston, I have a friend named Muhammad. He is Syrian. He is Muslim. He has been in the States for 18 months. He was in Syria when bombs were dropping. He didn't have time to get out with his wife. His two kids, his in-laws, a bomb landed directly on their home, completely destroying everything except for one bathroom. It was the only room in the house left standing. They lived in that bathroom for 28 days. Muhammad would venture out from time to time to get food for his kids, and snipers would take shots at him. He told me of a time when he was out trying to find some food so his family could survive and a bullet went past his face and struck the wall behind him and he, he took cover and he, he sat there and he, he wept. He didn't know what to do. I believe that God has preserved his life and the life of his family to bring them to Clarkston, to bring them to us so that he might hear the true gospel and believe and be saved. And I cannot help but marvel at the strategic and loving orchestration of God in Clarkston. But I'm not here today just to talk about us in Clarkston. I am here to address you. How do we, as God's people, considering the gospel, considering what God is doing, the nations he's bringing to us, how do we, as God's people, respond to this? But you know what, before we get to the how, let's discuss the why. Why? The why, the reason, the motivation is found right here in our text. It reads, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Lord delivers the motivation right here. Why respond to these strangers in Christian love and Christian hospitality? Because we were once strangers. And it isn't a select few. It's not just for pastors or, or missionaries or those with an extra helping of a hospitable gift. Chapter 19 is the only section in the book of Leviticus that is addressed to all the congregation. 
Every Christian is responsible because every Christian was once a stranger. We were strangers to grace, just like the Israelites were strangers in the land of Egypt, slaves to harsh rulers, so we were enslaved to sin and strangers to the saving grace of God. Our sin has made us enemies of God. We were rebels against God, God who who reigns over the nations, who sits on his holy throne, who inhabits eternity. We were not citizens of his heaven, but refugees seeking to escape him by any means. The holiness of God was not beautiful to us, but a thing of terror. We loved what he hated and hated what he loved, and we were worthy not of acceptance, not of being invited in, but of just condemnation and eternal damnation. But God showered his saving grace upon us who were strangers, even enemies. He has called us friends. We therefore ought to be a gracious people to those who are strangers sojourning with us. So we were strangers to grace and we were strangers to the benefits of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Recall your condition apart from Christ. As the scriptures describe, you were born in sin. You were enslaved to sin. You were dry bones lacking breath. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You did not seek after God. You were corrupt and unclean, carried away by your iniquities, slaves to evil and hostile towards God. You were of the flesh, unable to please God. You were accustomed to do evil, and no evil shall dwell with the Lord. But God, in his mercy, to demonstrate his glory for the sake and love of his own great name, sent his son, Jesus Christ, from the glories of heaven, who himself is the glory of heaven. Christ humbled himself. Christ cloaked his deity in human flesh. Christ became a true man, born of a virgin by the Spirit of God, and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Now, we don't even understand what that means. He knew no sin. You have not lived a single moment of your life perfect before God. You have never loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have never glorified him as he ought to be glorified or honored him as he ought to be honored. Jesus Christ lived every moment of his life perfect before his Father. Like a lamb without spot or blemish. Then according to the foreordained plan of God, Christ went to the cross of his own accord voluntarily. No words of protest for it was the agreed will between him and the father who sent him. And on that cross he bore your sin. My sin was laid upon him. He he took it upon himself, and not just the sins of Americans, but of Syrians and Sudanese and Somalians and Nepali and Burmese and Afghanis and Iraqis. He went to the cross to suffer and die for the sins of his people, to save his people from their sins. On that tree, Jesus bore the sins of his people, the full guilt of it, and he was forsaken of God. And when the holy and righteous father looked down on his beloved son, he saw only the guilt and the filth 
of our sin. Therefore the Father crushed him. He crushed him under the full force of his wrath and all the justice of God, all the fierce wrath of God against sin was thrown down upon the head of Christ and he died. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus, when he stood in your law place and died, he paid in full. On that cross, he said, it is finished. He did what was required. The sins of his people have been atoned for. The justice of God against sin has been satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. For it pleased Yahweh to crush him. Jesus has died. He has risen from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He is risen, which is God's public vindication of his son. God's sign and seal that his death was accepted as payment for our sin. He is risen. He is alive. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. He is risen that we ourselves may be raised to walk in newness of life and he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also and bring those who believe in him into his presence and so by his grace we are justified on that cross the father treated Jesus as guilty so that he could treat us who are covered in his blood as righteous. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are justified and we are adopted. We are adopted to be invited into his family. We are no longer strangers. We are sons and daughters. We are the church, the body of Christ. And God delights in our diversity. So when God, in this command, uses Egypt as the reason, the why, the reason the Israelites should treat strangers as natives and love them as themselves, he is grounding the command in their redemption. Their redemption is the basis for their obedience. So you likewise consider how you are justified by his blood and adopted into his family. And there you have your why. Before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, he addresses himself how? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If the exodus was the redemptive event whereby the people of Israel were motivated to obey the law, then the cross is the redemptive event whereby we ought to be moved to treat strangers who sojourn with us as the native among us and to love them as ourselves. This is why the gospel is where we must begin. The gospel generates in us an unstoppable love for God which proceeds outward in love towards the diversity of humankind because the redemption of God's diverse creation is the consummation of his mission. And we have a God-orchestrated opportunity to engage the nations right around us, right here in our own land. So now that we are grounded in the why, let's consider how. We treat strangers as natives 
because we were strangers. This is a call to Christian hospitality. The church ought to be known in the world as the most hospitable people. Hebrews 13.2 states it clearly. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, how do we practice hospitality in today's world? I would suggest two simple things. Meals and service. Meals and service. For example, you meet a refugee person or family, you invite them into your home for a meal. Now, Muhammad, my Syrian friend, is an Italian chef. He, he wants to open his own restaurant. And so I had him over for dinner. I invited him to lunch one day, and I was making spaghetti. And he comes in. Uh, I'm no cook, but he comes in, and he says, wow, that smells really good. But uh, why are you making it that way? Don't you know you should put oil in the boiling noodles to so that they don't stick together? Don't you know that you should, you should cook the sauce and the meat separately? And he's telling me all this stuff. But, but, but I invited him in, and we, we supped together. And it was beautiful. The number one felt need among the refugee community is relationship with an American. Over 90% of refugees will never cross the threshold of an American home. Church, what are we doing? The nations are at our doorstep. Invite them in. Second thing I would suggest, simple acts of service. And that could be anything. It could be help with legal documents, car maintenance, teaching English. This week I was out with an Ethiopian friend of mine, and we were looking for an apartment for him in Clarkston. He doesn't speak much English, so he needed my help to ask the right questions. And now this man has opened his home to us to have a Bible study, and if the Lord wills, it will develop into a house church. Considering our redemption. And considering what God is doing in bringing the nations to us, this issue of hospitality is extremely important for us today. In Matthew 25, when Christ was describing his return, he says that all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate sheep from goats. Then he lists certain things that separate to those who are invited in to inherit the kingdom, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Look at what he is saying. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was in prison. So Ra Rachel and I served in Burkina Faso for a couple years, and one day we were walking through uh, Sector 30. It's the poorest, the poorest section of Burkina. And we came across this man, this young man named Apo. Apo is blind. He is autistic. He is physically handicapped. His family left him in a chicken coop to die so that they didn't have to take care of him anymore. So out crawled this naked man, skin and bones, literally a few days away from starving to death. He was licking 
the sweat off his skin to try to get a drink. And he was imprisoned there in this chicken coop. Now, we as the church, by God's grace, were able to give Apo food and water. We were able to clothe him and, and take him out of this chicken coop and put a roof over his head. You know, so often we think that we as Westerners who are engaged in God's mission somehow, we think that we are Jesus to people. And it's a pop popular saying, you may be the only Jesus these people ever meet. And there is truth to that. But, but look at what he is saying here. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. We were not Christ to Apo. Apo was Christ to us. Now there is something else in the list that our Lord mentions in Matthew 25. In fact, it's right in the middle of it. Our Lord says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. But the word welcome here is really more than that. More than saying you're welcome to be here, it is, it is and then you invited me in. You took me in. You treated me as one of your own. Are we beginning to see how serious this matter is that Jesus would include the issue of Christian hospitality towards refugees and foreigners, that he would include it in a short list of things that separate those who inherit eternal life and those who inherit everlasting fire? We do not want to hear from our Lord on that great day, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. The command then is to treat the outcast as an insider, the stranger as a friend, the other as our own. Now let's go on. You see, the command is then taken deeper than the outward reckoning. It says, you shall love him as yourself. We love the stranger as ourselves because we were once strangers. And you shall love him as yourself. Now, that sounds familiar for to love God with all that we are is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was a certain lawyer. And he decided to put Jesus to the test. So he asked Jesus, what shall I do? To inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that's right, do this and you will live. And the lawyer said, and who is my neighbor? What a question. What a terrible question. What a wrong question. The lawyer sought to excuse himself and evade responsibility for what the law was truly requiring of him, and that is love. He was trying to exclude responsibility from himself for others by making them non-neighbors, by keeping them in their place as strangers. Who is my neighbor? Surely it's only those who are like myself 
who are worthy of my neighborliness. Surely my neighborliness is limited to respectable Israelites. So Jesus gives him the parable. That Jew fell among thieves who left him to die of his wounds. All those who should have been his friends forsook him. And he was cared for by a stranger, a Samaritan, whom the Jews most despised, who were surely outside the kingdom of God. Who is my neighbor? What he should have asked is, am I a neighbor? Do I behave as a neighbor? You see, Jesus doesn't answer his question with advice on how Jews can be better neighbors. The point of his parable is that it was a Samaritan who was loving the Jew, that this neighborly Samaritan is closer to the kingdom of God than the Jew who does not love his neighbor as himself. Some of the most kind and hospitable people I have ever met are Arab Muslims who I've met in Clarkston. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. alone. But folks, there are Muslims in Clarkston who are closer to the kingdom of God than many Westerners who call themselves Christian. And so who is our neighbor but any who have need? Need for, for kindness and grace and patience and love and hospitality, which we are able, which we are commanded which we are motivated by the gospel of our redemption, the cross work of Jesus Christ, to offer to any race or religion or ethnicity. And so our neighbor is not limited to our own kindred or countrymen, but includes strangers as well. Jesus asked the lawyer, who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Doubtless, the lawyer, this expert in the law, had Leviticus 19.34 memorized. He had it in his mind, but not in his heart. He had the intellectual knowledge, but not the love. It's similar to the difference we discovered earlier in Matthew 25 between strangers being welcome and strangers being invited in and taking strangers in with you. We can shout amen in agreement that refugees are welcome here, but have we reached out to them in love and demonstrated Christian hospitality as we are called to do? You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. 
The Lord stamps his seal on this command with a, a memorandum to his holiness. I am the Lord your God. We love strangers as ourselves and treat them with Christian hospitality because he is the Lord our God. Why is this phrase so important? Well, because the law was given as a, it's a revelation of the character of God. It's a testimony to who God is, his attributes, his character. And so to reject or neglect this command because of a superficial fear is to reject God himself. It is to say, I want no part of who you are in this regard. It is to deny the Lord who redeemed you, who were once a stranger. We do not want to hear from the Lord on that great day. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Second, because this command reveals God's heart for the nations, it reveals his heart for the nations, which is one of the, the grandest themes in the meta narrative of Scripture. Since he preached the gospel to Abraham, since the beginning, that he would be a blessing to all nations. To reject or neglect this command because of a superficial fear is to deny the gospel itself. It is to say, I want no part in the fulfillment of that glorious vision in Revelation 5.9 when we will be standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with our ransomed brothers and sisters from every tribe and language and people and nation singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. But brothers and sisters, you can be a part of its fulfillment And it, you can, it's right here, around you, in Augusta. So please, be encouraged by the word of God today to exercise Christian love and hospitality to the refugees and immigrants and foreigners who are here, among you. Invite people into your homes for meals. Perform simple acts of service. Come, visit us in Clarkston for a week and build relationships with people there whom God has gathered from all over the world. It is because we are compelled by the love of Christ who redeemed us who were once strangers to his love. We show hospitality to strangers and love them as ourselves that they might be brought to the knowledge and worship of the one true God. So may God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You are a glorious God. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for justification. Thank you for adoption. Thank you for drawing us near, inviting us in, taking us in, calling us sons and daughters and making us a part of your family. Lord, move us to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.